Hey y'all, welcome back to a Friday, May 20th, 2022 edition here on the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, welcome to hour one. Yeah, here on the podcast, we only are going to do a one hour show on uh, the Friday, May 20th, 2022 edition. So uh, this episode right here will be the only new episode you'll see pop up in your podcast player feed here on the Chase Thomas Podcast this morning. Uh, kind of a jam-packed uh, day yesterday. So uh, only one uh, hour here on the program, but it was a great one with Stats by Will, who comes on this program around this time every single week. So uh, we talked to all things college basketball, uh, Creighton, a little Creighton action, Gonzaga, uh, Max Christie going to the NBA, Detroit Mercy, um, Tennessee's new big man, and uh, why that was a sneaky uh, quality addition by Rick Barnes and his staff and uh, his relationship with Sakai. Um, and then, of course, the San Francisco Dons, who finished number 23 in Kim Palm's 2022 uh, rankings. So uh, we continue our series where we go through 20, top 25 down. Um, so San Francisco is up this week, but all kinds of great college basketball talk and, of course, running. Uh, with Will and myself on the Friday, May 20th, uh, 2022 edition here on the Chase the Most Podcast. So jam-packed show for you guys, even though it is just one hour today. Uh, on tomorrow's show, the Saturday, uh, May 21st edition, we'll have a three-parter, three-hour show. So look out for that in your podcast player feed and the return of uh, sports reporters assembling with Bob and Andrew and uh, might have something else special planned uh, for the rest of the weekend. So We'll see uh, day by day, day by day, brick by brick. Um, Tennessee just clobbered. I'm uh, taping this intro pretty late uh, heading into this Friday show. But, um, yeah, what a what a beatdown in Starkville tonight. Um, it was it was pretty wild, 27-2, Tennessee baseball. Just, it, ah, I, think, uh, I think our guy, <laughs> um, Evan Russell, just hit another double while I was recording this. Uh, just an unreal effort um, by the Tennessee baseball team. Chase Dolander, I mean, outside of the name Chase and just how uh, how great that is, and we cannot discount uh, the the Chase factor here. Chase Burns, Chase Dolander, there's all kinds of great stuff from Georgia, George Southern kid, but um, great stuff from him on the mound uh, last night. So great, uh, great stuff there, and excited to see how the rest of the series unfolds. Uh, at the dude um, in Starkville against the defending world champs. Uh, so, yeah, very exciting times here on Rocky Top. Uh, but, you know, more stuff coming this weekend. Don't forget, folks, you can watch this very program on YouTube, youtube.com. Type in the Chase Most Podcast. You'll find all of my video episodes and clips and all kinds of great video content on YouTube. So go subscribe if you've not already done so there. Uh, tweet at me at Chase underscore Thomas. Like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. You can always email this very program, any mailbag stuff, any questions you might have about the show that you would like for me to read on the show, Chase Thomas Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, I think that's it for the moment, but uh, yeah, Uncle Darren, let's go. Chase Thomas Podcast. The Chase Thomas Podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate, I already hate it. I hate it. All right, we're back here on the Chase Thomas Podcast, the Thursday, May 19th, 
2022 edition here on the podcast, but you'll hear it on Friday, May 20th, 2022. I just wanted to say all those different dates in a really quick uh, way, I guess, is what I'm doing here. Uh, Stats by Will is here. Statsbywill.com. Everyone knows him there. You know him from Tom Hart Shoutouts. It's Mr. Will Warren. Will, good afternoon, sir. How are you? Doing well. It's been a nice uh, scalding hot day here in Knoxville with more scalding hot days to come. It is quite scalding. I think that's a good way of putting it. Um, I read outside with uh, Khaleesi the dog yesterday afternoon at Shumpert, and uh, it was not bad because there was a lot of wind, a lot of Mm -hmm. wind, so that wasn't bad. But um, being locked away, one of the only positives of being a recluse for a week uh getting done with my papers and my finals and all that kind of stuff in graduate school here at the university of tennessee that people forget is an everything school um was that i was away from the heat the 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 crazy heat i was indoors people were outside sometimes like doing uh doing assignments like just out and about and i'm like you're out of your mind it's too hot (laughs) not doing it i'll be in hodges i'll see you later um this is i'll be in air conditioning i can't uh i don't want to be out here sweating when i'm trying i'm already sweating uh getting ready to file a big paper no won't do it won't do it well but it is it is hot here in knoxville already yeah i'm i don't know i'm not really ready for uh for summer to come i'm already missing my cold sunrises mm. for running purposes but it's like I don't know how your temperature works but it's like anytime it gets over 85 i would say for me i'm backing out hmm when you say backing out what do you mean like going inside i don't really want to be outside much i don't want to like sit outside at a sporting event and really going on walks is fine i think that's mm. all right but like i definitely don't want to run when it's 85 plus and uh, i don't know the uh the appeal of like going outside and getting sunburned over and over just doesn't really register much for mm. me never really has shockingly as a fair-skinned person i don't love being sunburned a lot same um but yeah, 85 plus, I think is about my limit. I know that's like some people can go out where it's like 97 and they're totally fine. And I'm a little mm. bit jealous of that, but yeah. That's how my dad is. And I mean, I'm like you, I'm a fair skin guy and I have to be careful, but I, uh, I think I was at the Tennessee George game on Sunday. I, Tennessee's lost like a handful of games uh, this year, which is pretty crazy, but I feel like I've been there for every single loss. It's kind of <laughs> wild that uh, I've been to a lot of games, so it's not like I've only been to losers, but uh, just it's kind of wild how many, like the Auburn game, the 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 Georgia game. There's there's one other one I was there for, and I forgot what, what it was. Um, but yeah, no, it was, we were, it was Sunday afternoon because I remember I had uh, just so much stuff to do this week. That I was like, oh god, I'm I gonna have to leave early from Lindsey Nelson because I didn't wear sunblock and I cannot be devastatingly sunburned uh, trying to do my doing my work and be like, <laughs> hey, can I get an extension because it hurts to crawl out of bed uh, this morning? I don't think that would work. So uh, fortunately, I was able to move to the shade uh, in like the fourth inning. So I was like, all right, I'll tough it out and I'll 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 make it through, but. Uh, there was some concern there. I won't lie, because I I burn pretty easily and uh, burn like it's just I'm 31. Will I'm, I'm not trying to do it. Like I'm over it. I'm not a I'm the tan stuff is never gonna happen. The fiance tans easily. Um, that must be just, nice. Yeah, I mean it just <laughs> <laughs> genetics and uh, where her mom's head's from. That just it worked out for. Um, but yeah, I just, I'm, I'm not like that. I got to protect the skin. I'm wearing the long sleeve Columbia PFGs, the dry fits, super cozy. This Columbia one dry fit. I'm just all about comfort at this point in my life. Will. it's just comfort yeah. city and I don't want to be hot. I don't want to sweat. 
I, I'm so it's kind of wild to think back on like all the times I attended football games at the mm. University of Tennessee, especially the ones that are it, like typically there'd be, you know, occasionally one in late August, but there's always the three or four September ones. Right. Mm. And it's crazy to think back on attending the September games when they're like, you know, noon kicks against, say, I don't know, Arkansas State or somebody and it's 85 degrees and you've put on no sunscreen. Mm. I cannot imagine doing that now. But at like 21 it made total sense. We were at uh, the South Carolina game um, with my family, and there was a, a couple college kids who were 19 tall boys deep for this one. <laughs> and they were uh, wearing the, the orange and white overalls, the checkerboard overalls, yes. but with nothing under it. And it was, Ooh, I don't know if you that's remember. That's a nasty just... tan line right there. The paint, and you could see, like, that was something that uh, the fiance and my mom were staring at was just that, like, you could see the sunburn already setting in at the end of the first quarter and just <laughs> how much pain this man was going to be in the next day, but he didn't feel it, didn't know the extent of it, because when you drink more, you're just like, oh, it's fine. I don't feel any kind of burn that I'm just getting up. But no sunscreen, fair skin guy, full-on overalls, right in the, in the north end zone, just nothing just Oof. turning into a the just a red tomato and it was it was gross man i i felt bad for him a little bit that's rough i i don't have any huge like sporting event sunburn stories but mm. i've had one in the past where it was so bad i took the next day off of work <laughs> it was just i was in so much pain i was lying in bed uh terrible so no i've learned my lesson many times over but mm -hmm. i never fail to have to learn the lesson at least once a year so i mean it's an important lesson to learn folks where as like get over get yourself your, get your proper spfs ready 100 percent. it was such a weird thing to think is not cool when you're younger that oh i can't do spf <laughs> you're tougher 100. than the sun yeah <laughs> <laughs> of all things you're tougher than the sun you can be tougher than the moon probably but the sun i don't know about that there's a meme about that of like oh you're gonna go up against the, the sun what was it i'm trying to I can't remember. I'm going to go find that meme, but it was a pretty funny one that I think about with uh, going up against the sun without uh, any SPF. But, um, <laughs> Will, we have a couple college basketball things. So ostensibly, that's what we talk about on this podcast mm -hmm. outside of running in the University of Tennessee. And um, uh, the new hot uh, coaching rivalry between 60-year-old men or whatever in uh, football. I uh, I recorded, as I do, every Wednesday night uh, with Matt Green for the college football show. And I joked with him, I think, on the show. I was like, I don't even want to do these college football shows right now because every day the sport decides to do something else crazy. And then mm. our episode is immediately like uh, the stuff that we – like the Pac-12 just dropping conference uh, divisions and changing their conference uh, structure and everything. It's a big story. It's forgotten. It's just – it's not a thing anymore because we moved on to – nick versus uh jimbo and everything going on there so yeah no college football right now just cannot settle down every day is just something crazy and new in college basketball you're not hearing a peep right now i think it rocks that uh we'll get back to our basketball stuff but it rocks that a grown man who uh, without googling i'm guessing it's like 58 named jimbo has everybody in their feelings today it is truly the only sport in america where that could happen um and, i don't know and... either of them personally i don't i, I have a lot of conflict like it's still coming out like folks you don't have to have a strong take on this i promise mm -hmm. um the people who already didn't did not like sabin uh agreed with jimbo and the people that already did not like jimbo agreed with sabin 
Um, there wasn't a lot of whole, there wasn't a whole lot of nuance to these discussions that I saw and Georgia fans enjoying both from afar. Uh, but (laughs) you know, I just, I don't really have a strong take. I'm just taking it all in. I think, uh, just, it's unfortunate. I think it's, I shouldn't say it's a bad look because the sec is just at this point where they're just too big to fail (laughs) and it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter what's going on on the national stage. I do think it's kind of it's kind of wild that we had a commissioner have to come out and do a double offsetting personal foul <laughs> penalty to two of the biggest coaches in the sport um, over their public feud. I, I don't know, man. It's, it's wild, but people are like, Oh, I can't October 8th. Can't come soon enough. I don't know. That's a long time, man. Who There's knows? There's a lot that? of like cool things that can happen in life for you before a football game five months from now. Right. Uh, also, uh, I mean, as like a guy who's not a huge college football fan, I just think it's very humorous. Mm. It's just like a silly goof off thing, right? I guess like it is probably not good, but uh, uh, two grown men getting mad at each other to the point that I saw, of course, the Barstool Alabama account uh, be like, if if uh, if Nick is calling me, I'm answering on the first ring. You can't, if you're Jimbo, you should be ashamed that you didn't answer Nick Saban. And I'm like, you, you act like you're a, in a cult. Mm. Like, calm down, bro. It's, it's just... just- it's it's awesome, I think, in that specific regard. Well, it's also like you have no idea what the relationship is like. You don't have to have a take on if he should answer the call. It's yeah, I think call. it was great that they immediately, the first person not involved that they asked their take on was Lane Kiffin. That is mm. the appropriate way to handle it as a journalist. Yeah, um, I don't know. We'll see what happens. I try not to get caught up in all that. I'll read it and see what's going on, but... Uh, there's mm-hmm. no point in like the people who are you on Twitter and have the whole back and forth that you're just talking to a brick wall. There's no point in uh, having those kind of discussions. But I mean, That's would right. I love to talk to them both on this very program? Absolutely. <laughs> I just had Tom Green on yesterday, who was great. But I, uh, I don't know. I just, I'm more. I just, I. The biggest thing for me, Will, and I think you're kind of like this too, is this that like, I don't. there's just so much I don't know. And there's a much better way of going through life and just going through life as an adult is understanding your own limitations on what you know. So you're always learning something. Um, Mm -hmm. If you go into it blind and not already having a a strong opinion on NIL or Saban or Jimbo or the state of college and just listen and continue to just accumulate information and ask questions and see what they say. And it's like, Oh, it's interesting. Saban said that. Okay. That's interesting. Jim, I went that, but you don't have to have a strong opinion. You can just keep, listening and then be like oh that'd be cool to ask him like i would just rather ask them like if i have a choice between talking to saban for 10 minutes on this show and picking his brain and coming to those questions honestly and just in a real honest just an an inquisitive way versus okay here's why nick saban is the worst thing to happen to college football that's just (laughs) that has no appeal to me whatsoever and it's just silly when i still see a lot of people doing that people love their takes people love the the likes and retweets, I think. I'm out. Of, I, th- I think, I think out many. On takes, I think Will. a lot of people are guilty of it. It's not just fans; it's journalists too, of like sort of accentuating this for, you know, not the greater good. I don't know where I was going with that, but more of like accentuating this to sort of drive more to it. I get it. It's the sport you cover. You want people to care about it in May as much as they do in September and October, especially when that game is actually scheduled. I think this would be totally different if this was Jimbo going at Dabo or something Hmm. because they're not in the same conference. They don't play each other every year. Mm -hmm. So I don't know, but you know, I, 
I'll be interested to see if this is still a story in 48 hours. I think this is just like a mini feud that gets, you know, kiboshed right here. And we don't have to, we'll, we'll hear about it again in October whenever that game is, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I think uh, it will be very funny to me when like three months from now, um, people are like the weird college football fans are claiming A&M is like their quirky team of the year, like they did with Ole Miss last year like just in time for Alabama to win that game by 40 or whatever. We'll see. I mean, beating Saban back back years is going to be tough. Um, Cause it wasn't, it would be very year. funny. It would be very funny. It, it would get me as a non super fan more invested. So, I mean, the most A&M way of going about next year is that they go 10 and two or something and, or 11 and one, they beat Alabama and then they lose to like Ole Miss or something or Mississippi state. And that's Hmm. what keeps them out of the playoff or like just, they beat everyone they're supposed to, or beat just the elite elites and then drop a a silly game to somebody. I don't know. Um, It's early. I don't know. Uh, There's still a lot to happen. I mean, Jordan Addison just uh, committed to USC uh, from the portal. So I think there's a lot more movement, a lot more injuries, unfortunately, are part of this game, too. So we got to see who makes it through the summer, all that good stuff. But uh, that is for another show. Well, that is for another show. Um, <laughs> that sound, this sounds actually a little college basketball-esque. We need, like, this is like bringing back John Chaney versus John Calipari. Mm, Those days. Need, need that level of heat. Need, need uh, Jimbo coming into the press conference like John Chaney shouting, I'll kill you at John Calipari. I don't even remember that. What year was that? This It's mid-90s. You have to look yeah. it up on YouTube. It, for people who don't know what I'm talking about, this really happened when John Chaney was at Temple. He was pissed off at Calipari after a Temple-UMass game and came into Calipari's press conference and shouted, I'll kill you, Adam. And it was that we... I mean, if Jimbo really wants to be about it, then we'll talk. But that I, very few American rivalries get as heated as that anymore. Yeah. Folks, for breathe... Adults, like remember that you're adults and you don't have to go down this road. I promise it's not that serious. It's just sports. They're just games. It's they like your dad games. always said when you were losing 50 to 8 in basketball. Mm-hmm. It's just a game. Did I experience this in real life? Yes. Is that for another show? Also, yes, because mm-hmm. I did not treat it like just a game. For sure. Um, well, there's a really <laughs> good piece. Well, I don't really have a strong transition ready for that one. Uh, That's but okay. I'm going to do Very few anyway. good transitions in my life. <laughs> um, the Athletic College Basketball staff, which is a loaded staff that I love reading, and everyone should get subscribed to if they have not already done so. Um, they did an early college basketball top 25 uh, best newcomers at every school. This can include a transfer, a new freshmen. Um, it varied depending on who it was. But I wanted to get your perspective, Will, because uh, a lot of interesting names popped up here and uh their early top 25 is fascinating to me because it's different than a lot of other schools but uh from your perspective will um who who stood out the most to you on this list so the biggest transfer for me uh isn't on this list but of the ones that are on there of their top 25 baylor shireman heading to creighton is pretty Mm -hmm. big to me because they were terrible at three-point shooting last year and you know, sort of out of nowhere, they got really hot in that Kansas round of 32 game. But if they had hit just a couple of more, I mean, they could have taken out the future national champions right there, mm. which would have been nuts. I mean, obviously, if they had just hit a few more over the course of the season, they're probably not a nine seed. But that's, you know, separate discussion. But that's a I mean, anytime you can add a wing who, you know, 
one, was the player of the year in his conference, and two, shot 47% from three, and is gaining like legit NBA draft looks. That's pretty darn good. And I've been a little cooler on Creighton in terms of like, I've been seeing them like seventh in early top 25s. And for me, it's more like, you know, like 15th to 18th, I would say is about right. But if he's there, I think that's a really good team that's going to be competing for the Big East title. And uh, I don't know, uh, watching him with South Dakota State, I think you're sort of, with just about every Summit League transfer I've seen, you're sort of just admitting that the defense is likely not going to be there because the Summit League teams really, on the whole, do not play good defense at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't like stereotypes for conferences, but that one has largely held true. Uh, but he more than makes up for it with his size and skill offensively. So I think if he's as good as he was at South Dakota State, Creighton really will have a great shot to go far because they're going to have the shooting to go with what they built on this past season and a season that was honestly better than anticipated. So you're pretty high still on McDermott and yeah. uh, this group. He weathered the storm, and it seems like Creighton, they're just kind of the forgotten about Big East team, right? That they're just yeah. kind of, per- they're never they're bad. They're there. Yes, they're just there, and then they have the the breakout years every now and then. But put a lot of guys in the NBA. They run an NBA friendly scheme. Um, do you are they a fun watch for you? Do you enjoy? Um, yeah. Okay. McDermott's offense is always really enjoyable to watch. He seems deeply interested in innovating every mm-hmm. year. Like, you know, ostensibly the offense he runs is you know like at least fairly similar to what he ran when his son was there. Mm-hmm. You know, almost ten years ago now, which is wild to think about. But the, he's continued to make tweaks. He's really interested in the analytics side. He hired out the shot quality guy to help him throughout the season this year. And I, I just feel like that's a coach that, you know, you could have sort of pegged him with the same, you know, you're not going to be as good once your son leaves thing that has happened to other coaches that are on that boat. Mm. But the fact that he's gotten better over the last eight years and has really improved some of the areas that used to bug him, like, you know, defense used to be really, really bad at Creighton, especially when Doug McDermott was there. And, I mean, they, they've really improved that. I mean, Creighton's defense this past season was top 20 in Ken Palm. It was why they made the tournament. So I, I just feel like he's become a much better coach. I really enjoy watching his teams play. I just feel like, they, I mean, there's no one right way to win college basketball, but I feel like they play a clean, enjoyable, fun style that is, you know, just easy to root for. There, There's very few reasons to me to dislike a Creighton basketball team year in, year out. Why do you think their three-point shooting was down this past year, though? I just don't think they had many good shooters on the roster. I mean, mm. the the best one was Ryan Hawkins, who transferred up from Division II Northwest Missouri and it was more of like not really just a shooter, but the threes were the majority of his shots. He was not the first scoring option. They didn't have a guard who was truly great at shooting. Ryan Nemhard came closest, but he was thirty one percent from three. And then, I mean, they just that like Alex O'Connell is like an okay shooter, but nothing great. So having Shireman on the roster is really going to improve that. And if you can get some improvements across the rest of the roster, like if Trey Alexander becomes a better shooter, he was 28% as a freshman, or Nemhard gets better, or uh, Arthur Kalima even gets better, that's a team that could really take the next step forward offensively. And they need to to match the defense. So I I would like to see them do well, frankly. I think they're going to have a pretty quality roster and a, a bunch of interesting pieces on it. 
What about Efton Reed at Gonzaga and the kind of the shoes that he's filling? I thought that was an interesting name too. That's a good one. Um, it's one where they even say it right in the article. The overall stats don't jump off the page. He was more or less averaging seven and five, mm-hmm. which is you know not great. But that was a guy who was a terrific scorer at the rim. Uh, anytime you give Mark Few a seven footer, I feel like the <laughs> the floor there is at least pretty darn high. Um, I want to see because of the thing that kept him off the court so much last year is that he committed almost seven fouls per 40 minutes, mm-hmm. which, uh, you know, centers in general are going to commit more fouls than a point guard, but seven is extremely high for any position. So if he can get that down to like four and a half, the amount of time he's going to be able to stay in the court rises, the amount of time he's able to flash his offensive skill set rises. And he was pretty good as a rim protector in those minutes. So I want to see what he can do there. Um, not to like bash Will Wade out the door, though it is quite easy to do so, frankly. Uh, but, you know, I just want to see what happens when a guy with that skill set and that frame is put in Mark Few's system versus Will Wade's system. Like, what gets accentuated better and more efficiently? Hmm. So do you think there is a drop-off? Do you think that there, Gonzaga, I mean, it's interesting with Gonzaga to think about next year because now we've just been conditioned to them just being the best team on paper in college basketball the last two years. Do you think they should be penciled in in that in that Kimpom 1-2 zone once again or no? Do you think they slide a little bit back to like 6 or 7 or something? I would put them in my top 5, but like mm-hmm. at 5th. So I, But I will say, you know, if Drew Timmy comes back, I think you have a real good case for them at number one again because it's I think just, he comes back, right? Like it seems like he's leaning to come back. It seems that's the way. I've learned to try to not be surprised by draft decisions because mm-hmm. there's been some where it's like you should come back and they just don't and they get picked 57th or they frankly should go because they it's the highest their stock will ever be and they don't. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. It's, I, I would guess he comes back and if he does, I would have them at minimum top three. Mm-hmm. Um and honestly, with them, I know it's kind of it's funny that there is actually like a professional sports example to compare them to the Toronto Maple Leafs, where mm. it's just like they're consistently elite every single year. But until they actually do something with it in March, people just are not going to care November to February like they should. Yeah, because Gonzaga really was a lot better than the rest of the field this year entering March. But they had one truly terrible shooting night against a great defense in March. And, you know, nobody's really going to remember this past team beyond some of the in-season play from Chet and Timmy. So that's just, you know, unfortunately, it, you the way this sport is built, a lot of these regular season accomplishments that are so cool, like Gonzaga continuing to win the conference year after year after year, which really is a cool streak to continue over, you know, considering all the, the roster overhaul over the years. Uh, it just sort of gets lost in the fact that they haven't won the title yet. But, I mean, if you do it enough times, if you run the system enough times, if you're this good enough times, eventually it's going to go in your favor, right? You would think. That is why I am, it seems like most sports fans are a championship over process type of person. And I'm not wired like that. I don't think you are either. I'm more of a process over results kind of person. And any Gonzaga fan. It's really hard to stay that way when the results are the results. It, it, gets it is tough. hard, but that's why you go take a walk. <laughs> and mm-hmm. like the walk after that's why a bad you touch loss. grass. That's that's the best insult ever is touch grass. Mm-hmm. So you just got to do it whenever you're thinking about results over process. When you're ever thinking about Rick Barnes, 
Gonna I mean, I didn't want to say Rick Barnes, but that's Green had. Well, actually, you know what? Whenever you're thinking about Tony Bennett or mm. Jamie Dixon, those are two for you. That's true. Two amazing regular season coaches. And the programs are in better shape. Like, look at where Pitt is without Jamie Dixon. Look at where TCU <laughs> yeah. was before Jamie Dixon. And then, I mean, Virginia basketball, as painful as it is at times, like he's built a great program. And it looks like they should be a lot better. The Who should be a lot better coming into oh, yeah. this year than last year. But bunch of nba guys like he's he knows what he's doing and they're they're in good shape so it's it's one of those things that it's in good hands like it's it's hard enough to find continuity and consistency in this coaching rank and it's just with the amount of turnover i think we're going to continue to see just be be grateful that you're in the spot that you're in if you have a, a high quality coach that you 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 know that come tournament time if a, if certain things go the right way then you're in you're in a good shot a good spot to to win it all um Speaking of teams uh, needing some luck and being in a good spot, this team I don't think is necessarily in the in the best spot. I wanted I forgot to add this to our show sheet, Will, but uh, Max Christie decided to stay in the NBA draft, yeah. um, which was a, it seems like that was a stunner and kind of like what you alluded to, where it's it's iffy to speculate on what a kid's going to do before they ultimately decide uh, to stay in the draft or come back. Um, I mean, Josiah Jordan James would be one where I would actually be floored because he did yeah. more stuff today, like uh, with Sakai and I think it was Kumwa uh, with the rings. I don't know if you saw that. They're designing the rings, the SEC title ring. It it would just absolutely floor me uh, at this point if he, he stayed in um, the NBA draft. But either way, uh, Christie is in the NBA draft and he does not come back. And it seems like that's a pretty devastating blow this late in the process for the spartans right like i think they can't really a lot of guys are out of the portal and a lot of stuff like a lot of a lot of help that they might have been able to get if they had planned for him to stay in the nba draft uh that's kind of out the window right yeah I, i mean i don't think it's a total disaster for them i still think they'll be good in the sense like they'll make the tournament again mm-hmm. that's not going to be like a big stretch but it's a it's a struggle in the sense that this goes from you know if max christie had come back you know i don't have the exact number in mind but you're probably talking about like what top 10 or not mm-hmm. top 10 but like top 15 maybe top 10 michigan state and now without christie i know he struggled at times this year but you there's just not many people built like him in the mm-hmm. world so uh you're kind of talking more about like borderline top 25 msu and you know, it's it, it, it's sort of at a point where you're of two minds, right? You trust Izzo. You trust mm-hmm. Izzo is going to, I, I think, probably pretty safe to assume that they follow the traditional non-elite Spartan path of kind of struggle November, December, struggle through some of January, and then it hits February, and like it is every year, they turn into a really good team again. Mm-hmm. And they enter March as like a six or a seven seed. And then you're like, oh, they're in the Sweet 16 again. What a freaking surprise. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's, you know, this is coming up on in all likelihood, unless, you know, several players overachieve in a meaningful way. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> the third consecutive MSU team where you're looking at them night one and you say, this is not a national title contending team. Right. And it's been a really long time, in my opinion, since we've gone through that phase with MSU where they've had three straight non-national title contending teams in a row. Mm-hmm. Like, you would have to go back to the late 2000s, I think, right before they made that title run in 09, where they were, you know, 
06, 07, 08, none of those teams were terribly good. They were, you know, uh, six seed, nine seed, five seed. None of them passed the Sweet 16. And these last two seasons, 11 seed, seven seed. And if they follow Bart Torvik's projection, which would have them as a six seed, that's not like the traditional ISO results you really expect. So I, I, I want to see how they compensate for this. I think getting, uh, you know, Tyson Walker is a good player. Uh, AJ Hogard is improving. Joey Hauser back once again to be punked by Hunter Dickinson, I guess. <laughs> but um, th- they've got pieces that are intriguing. Like Jackson Kohler is a pretty good and, you know, interesting freshman. But it's it's going to be, in all likelihood, another MSU team where they're just going to take losses you're not expecting MSU teams to take. Like, uh, yeah, I can't really name one off my the top of my head, but like, yeah, they lost at home to Northwestern this year, right? Mm-hmm. That's not a typical MSU result. Losing by 21 on the road to Rutgers, not typical MSU. Are both of those going to happen again? Probably not. But like, if you look up in February and they've just lost to Penn State, you're not going to be as surprised as you normally would be with them. Mm-hmm. I think that's right. Um, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, maybe they add someone late in the portal that we're not expecting, or they land a commitment from somebody we're not expecting. Uh, maybe that happens. I don't know. They, I will say that they're kind of overdue. It's hard. It's incredibly hard to project this for obvious reasons, but they're kind of overdue to mm-hmm. be like the Providence or Wisconsin. Hmm. where it's like they rank 26 in Ken Palm, but they have somehow entered March at like 26 and 7. And you're like, how did you do this? And it's like, oh, we won 14 games by six points or less. Mm-hmm. Because that's just what Izzo does. They're just, he's, I've, it's kind of like you doubt him at your own peril at this point. But I'm doubting that this specific team will be in title contention. Uh, speaking of teams not in title contention, uh, Detroit Mercy. Uh, they bring back a an important guy. Uh, this is somebody that um, a lot of folks were wondering where he was going to go. Antoine Davis, um, he goes in the portal and then comes back out of the portal. Western Kentucky's Jamarian Sharp goes in the portal. He takes his name out of the portal. San Francisco's Khalil Shabazz goes in the portal. He comes back, and we'll talk about San Francisco in a second. But uh, Matt Norlander, one of the best college basketball writers out there, he had a great piece about these guys and their decisions to come back to the school. And like, hey, just because you put your name in the portal does not mean these kids are all going to leave. So fan bases, calm down <laughs> when you're one of the bigger ones. It's not always going to go like the Jordan Addison situation where he puts his name in and then he leaves. Um, a lot of guys are just going and testing the waters. And it's also like if you listen to the coaches talk about the portal thus far and coaches that I definitely trust, um, they're like, hey, these kids are putting their name in the portal they're contacting us and they're seeing like what would the playing time be like if i were to transfer to your school like it's more of hey here's where i'm at i just want to reevaluate things is there a better option for me if not i'll stay here like i'm content it's just like this is what makes people uncomfortable it's just like real life when you're at a job you're like i like my position i'm okay with it i'm okay staying here but do i want to reevaluate uh every now and then to see what else is out there yeah does that mean i'm going to leave my position no and there are scenarios where you don't and these guys were uh scenarios where they did not um what did you make of this piece and what do you make of antoine davis specifically uh not moving on because i think a lot of folks thought uh with his upside he would definitely move on for a bigger opportunity it's almost as if and hear me out division one 
basketball and football players are employees. Mm. Shocker to hear that, I know. Uh, Davis specifically, again, two minds here. One, awesome that he comes back to UDM because mm. it's not as if the University of Detroit is like a basketball powerhouse, right? Mm. Couple of NCAA tournament appearances, last one, 2012. And that was only because of Ray McCallum going off in that conference tournament. It's not like they've got a ton of history. And probably even if they, you know, since Davis is coming back, uh, I mean, it's still, I'm still not exactly expecting Detroit to uh, contend for the Horizon League title or anything. Uh, but it's cool that he came back, cool that he gets one more year, I believe still with his dad as coach, um, or some sort of situation like that. But at the same time, it's a bit of a shame where it's like, you know, obviously Shabazz back to San Francisco, great. You you love that no matter what. Uh, you know, other guys coming back like Jamarian Sharp to Western Kentucky, great. Because Western Kentucky is probably going to be good. Same with San Francisco, who we'll get to. Mm-hmm. But when you know that Detroit is probably going to be bad, it's uh, it's kind of like as a fan who's not a fan of the Detroit Mercy team, you kind of wish Antoine Davis would go to like... I don't know, Butler or something mm-hmm. like somewhere where he can get TV time. And you're like, I don't have to sit through a bad ESPN plus stream to watch this guy play because mm-hmm. Davis is crazy exciting to watch play, even when his team sucks around him. So, but I would say on the whole, I still think the portal is good. I still think the um, basic gist of it is a positive for athletes because athletes should be enabled to make the choice that's best for them, especially if it leads to them getting out of a bad situation. Um, but I, I think I'm going to need to see more cases like this where the mid-major kids come back. Like, I know it didn't benefit Tennessee, but like Yuri Collins coming back to St. Louis is genuinely a net win for college basketball. That's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Shabazz coming back to San Francisco is a net win for college basketball. We probably need to see more of that for me to like feel that this is a trend versus just like, the exception to the rule where like generally like Johnny Broom transferring up from Moorhead state to Auburn type of thing. Mm-hmm. So uh, I don't know. I I'm still hopeful that mid-major basketball can survive and thrive even in this era. Mm-hmm. And I think you're, you'll see, you know, just as many kids go down as they come up, right? Like think of Victor Bailey going to George Mason. That's a great mm-hmm. fit for him. That's a place where he'll get to play a lot and probably, I mean, potentially be the points leader there with mm-hmm. how often he shoots. Um, but you, and, and like, you know, say like Justin Powell transfers down or cases like that, even if you're not a Tennessee specific fan, think of like, you know, a kid going from say Michigan to VCU mm-hmm. or something similar to that, that can still exist and be good. But I, I think at least for another year or two, you're probably going to still see this continued movement from college to college. And then, uh, maybe this is a little bit hopeful, but I do think eventually it will settle down, Right. Like, it can't stay this hot forever. Kids will learn to stick it out again. Um, and I think, you know, colleges, given another couple of years to grapple with NIL and best prepare themselves, I think even the mid-majors will be able to prepare, like, good packages for the kids that are, you know, commensurate with, you know, the value they provide on and off the floor. So, I, Yeah, I, I do know. think it – I agree with you. I think it will eventually uh, even out, and it just takes time. It's like one of those things where you need a track record now, and coaches are ready for it. Like, these staffs are huge where they can be able to be like, one person's job is to literally just keep track of all the transfer failures. Like, that's yeah. something where they can be like, you could leave. You could put your name in the portal, but here's the issue. Like, here's what happened to players like 
who fit your skill set or who went into this program particularly or like there's just there's going to be data all across the board uh, in the next couple of years where coaches and competing programs can be like hey this is this is the deal um i don't know it, it is always kind of weird to me when people dunk on coaches for like oh you should tough it out and they're like oh well no it, you should be able to do whatever and it's like i understand but part of like why coach like one of the things and i think this is genuine i mean i had Derek hunt on um last week and he's that coach of Maribel high school and they're just a powerhouse in east tennessee and super nice guy and i like him a lot but one of the things he talked about is they're called like Maribel guys the guys who don't play up until their senior year and then they just break out because they were grinding and learning behind the better players and they weren't good enough to start right away so they got better they continued to learn and then those are his favorite stories and you could see like the excitement and the genuine happiness he felt seeing these guys come out like really grow in the program and just take their lumps and get better and then they got a college scholarship after that one year of playing uh at senior level and it's like the Maryville guys who really put in the time and these coaches genuinely like when i taught tom Crean, he was like anthony edwards and coaching him and seeing him in the gym and seeing how he worked with other people and getting him in, like getting him acclimated and just all that stuff that he got to see it was awesome like he felt this personal responsibility to get him there and to coach him in a way that will get him number one in the nba draft and i do think coaches really value guys who stick it out and there it's just i understand why coaches are wired like that and i think they're being genuine for the most part when they're like i love when a guy sticks it out and they break through because that's like, oh, that, that willingness to keep grinding and to, cause it shows that they also believe in the coach, right? They believed in you to eventually um, give them the opportunity when you saw it fit. Um, but now I think a lot of kids, it's just the uncertainty, but it's hard to tell an 18 and 19 year old kid that if you stick it out and you trust me, this basic stranger until a year ago that I will take care of you and get you where you want to go in the end. That's a, it's a tall order when there's an opportunity for you not to do that. So I understand both sides, but I think uh, the people who, generally speaking, will go anti-coach for anything now. I'm like, mm, I think this is part of the reason coaches get into coaching is for those kind of stories. Yeah. And, I mean, you kind of hope that there's going to be more, like, Frank Kaminsky stories out mm-hmm. there, right? Like, guy who averaged 1.7 points per game his freshman year turns into the national player of the year his senior mm-hmm. year. Or, like, Luca Garza, like a bit player on a couple of Iowa teams turns into, like, a legit second-round draft pick national player of the year. I think those stories can still exist in college basketball, yeah. and they will. It's just we're we're gonna have to sort of get through this, you know, little spurt of players, you know, transferring. I, and I think, you know, Brian Cook of MGO Blog did say this on a show recently. Of it, he thinks, and I kind of tend to agree that once we process all of the COVID years mm-hmm. uh, of like all of the kids who still have that extra COVID year of eligibility this will sort of even out. And so it might take another couple of years for it to do so, but it's coming. And I think, you know, as always, it's like what scares you about the portal now may not seem so scary in a year or two. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's the same goes for both players and for coaches. Like, I think you'll see more just stop to stick it out. And, you know, you'll probably see, I, I think it will be helpful to have both good examples of success through the portal and the examples of where it didn't work out so hot. So yeah, and look, breathe, folks, breathe. This stuff will continue <laughs> to get ironed out. A lot of change right now, but it will continue to get ironed out. I will say, though, um, Yuri Collins was the rare exception where he should have, uh, for the betterment of college basketball, uh, transferred to the University <laughs> of Tennessee. Um, 
Speaking of Tennessee, Tennessee notes, uh, we get Sakai Ziegler's uh, AAU teammate up there in New York, three-star. Um, he comes in. Uh, I should mention that I had an awkward experience. I've seen Zakai Ziegler a lot in the last couple of days. Uh, he, <laughs> uh, uh, is it Meshach? I always get yeah, can, Meshach. Yeah, Meshach, right? It doesn't sound right when I say Meshach in my head. Uh, Meshach and Triple J were at the Tennessee baseball game on Sunday, and I saw them. They were taking photos, and Zakai and JJ uh, are just the nicest human beings on planet Earth. I think Zakai might actually be the nicest person on planet Earth, but... Um, he uh he i also saw him and uh kumwa walking into the practice facility when i was uh back and forth on campus the other day and i pulled up to the stoplight in front of the pat summit uh statue and they're walking towards me and i didn't know what to do because like we were going to make eye contact zakai and i because kumwa was just too tall to make eye contact the dude's <laughs> just too big zakai is on my level and uh i just i didn't know what to do so i was just like and he was like and that was it I, I didn't know what to do i didn't know if i what to do with the eye contact and i i'm sure he's seen me before but um i don't know i just thought that was funny but uh folks let me tell you sometimes you run into some awkward uh scenarios on campus and you run into folks and you you realize i don't have a plan for this interaction and i don't really know what to do <laughs> my story of this is uh former lady of all diamond shields Mm-hmm. Uh, and I had a chance encounter. And are they still called pod markets at UT? Like little convenience stores on campus? That's a good question. I don't actually know. Whatever there are. Uh, mm. I didn't hear what she was saying at first because I had headphones in. And I was just like, no, thanks. And she was like, mm. she said, like, what the F? And, <laughs> and I was like, I'm sorry. And she was like, I was asking you, can you hold this bag of candy for me while I adjust my crutches that I'm on? <laughs> and I felt like such an idiot. And so like, we laughed it off and it was fine. But that's my, my uh, awkward UT athlete encounter story. There you go. Well, what about uh, Toby Awaka? What do you what do you make of his impact? And uh, do you think he's a good fit for this for this group? Sure. I mean, I don't think he'll play year one, really. But mm-hmm. uh, I think it's we interesting about to Zakai. me. We said that it's, about Zakai. Yeah, but it was like Zakai. There's a clearer path to playing time, right? Like the mm-hmm. the backcourt wasn't or point guard wasn't quite as crowded. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I uh, I'm still a little confused as to why this guy's offer list isn't you know quote better. Mm-hmm. Uh, for being like the EYBL rebounding leader, you know, I think like New York player of the year or something like that. Mm-hmm. He has had fantastic success in a very competitive market for young basketball players. And I mean, I'm scanning the offer list now. It's, you know, Bowling Green, Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. Marist, Yale, Dartmouth, like not exactly basketball powerhouses. So I'm wondering what's up there. And maybe Tennessee's just gotten in on him at the right time, like they did with the Ziggler. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm sure the AAU connection helps. But uh, I think it's a good move. You know, at least at that guy, with that guy, you know, you see him leading the charts versus a pretty competitive field. You might as well add him and see what happens, right? See mm-hmm. how it translates against college teammates in practice. And then it may be limited playing time too. Uh, and then Tennessee is very likely to add DJ Jefferson, the former four-star Tulsa commit, who's a six-foot-four guard slash forward, um, very fun little player. So Tennessee is sort of rounding into shape for 2022-23. They, if I recall correctly, will have one spot remaining, and mm-hmm. I don't quite know. I think that obviously has to be used in a front court player, right? Probably, well, or no point guard backup. 
Uh, I don't think that's where they'll go. I think it's going to be a random foreign guy based on what I've heard. It's, it's yeah. just going to be someone we have not heard of that's going to be a big... It's going to be like a pawn situation or a Euros yeah. where they just pop out of nowhere and are just uh, a good player for us two to three years from now. If that's the case and they pick up somebody from like Serbia or somewhere, mm-hmm. God bless Bob Kessling uh, <laughs> on uh, opening night and his pronunciation skills. Uh, that It took that man a little bit to get behind uh, Euros Plavsic. So... Mm-hmm. Um, no hate on Bob. He's a good man, but, um, yeah, I I think it's like they're running in a shape pretty well. I know people, so at least whenever Phillips committed, you know, I did my one off season Tennessee basketball tweet and said like, things are looking pretty good. And because this is Tennessee, there is a dissenter of sorts being like, well, what about the front court? And I mean, well, yeah, sure. I don't really want to be heading into November starting Euros Plavsic again, right? Mm-hmm. But that only happened because Olivier Kamwa went out with a season-ending mm-hmm. injury. That wouldn't have continued to happen into March. Mm-hmm. Like, you believe, like, I do is going to get better, right? Uh, I think, like, the front court in general is going to be, you know, fine. I mean, it's not, like, a huge concern to me. I mean, they seem to handle player of the year Oscar Shibway just fine without Kamwa. So I, I don't know. It's a it's gonna be a really good team again. I think they're top ten. I've been a little confused at polls having them like eighteenth or whatever. Maybe not fully updated, I don't know. But I don't know. They're gonna be really good again. Uh I wanna see how the Tyrese Hunter situation resolves. My hmm. guess is that he goes to Kansas or Texas, but it's intriguing to me that Tennessee has been the only non-Big 12 team involved in that, seemingly, mm. and that he's continued to give them a chance. So I don't know that he will go to Tennessee, but it seems like they're at least in on him. So mm. you never know. I didn't think they would get Julian Phillips at first either. So anything can happen there, especially with, I guess, based on hashtag sources and hashtag reports, how well mm. Tennessee's doing in NIL. So maybe anything can happen there, but no, I think it's a good little squad. They're going to have a lot of fun players again. And, you know, assuming Triple G and Vescovy come back, as is expected, especially given that they did not receive NBA Combine invites, mm-hmm. uh, this is going to be a team with a lot of likable dudes, right? A lot of... It, it's the thing we were talking about just a few minutes ago. You get your four-year stories with Vescovy mm-hmm. and Triple J. Yeah, I think and they're kind both of Kamwa, actually, this will be Kamwa's fourth year. I just realized. That's true. Um, which is good. A lot of veteran leadership, and um, there's just going to be a, a lot of guys who've won a lot of basketball games for Rick Barnes and know the system well. So, which yeah, is, I think they, so too. They didn't really have that this past season, frankly. I no, mean, Fulkerson was a senior and did have the one amazing Arizona game, mm-hmm. but it's just one guy. I mean, you know, all love to the to Brock Jansek walk on who's the other senior, but it's not like Brock Jansek is out there, you know, grabbing important boards in crunch time. So uh, you, you've got guys like James and Vescovy who really were more of the heart and soul of the team last year, I felt versus mm-hmm. Fulkerson. So having those guys as seniors, I think, you know, this is a real Lucy in the football moment, but you just feel like if you bring those guys back, you have the hot freshman, you get another year of Zakai, et cetera just feels better mm. for March purposes. But I don't know. Maybe we're all Sisyphus and we're pushing the rock up the ledge again. What a reference there. Um, I did think it was interesting too. Tom Crean, I like we were talking about, cause I asked him, I was like, how did you frustrate Tennessee so much? Do you like, you remember the game where like we should yeah. have lost to Georgia and yeah, Tennessee did not play well. No. And I asked him, I was like, what did y'all do 
to game plan to like just make Tennessee's lives uh, terrible in that game. And he was like, oh, best could be. That was our that was our focus. We're going in. We're like this team runs and lives and dies by Vescovy, and it was just interesting that 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 was their pinpoint of like we're gonna whatever else happens is fine, but we are not letting Vescovy do what he needs to do in this game, right? Like that yeah. was something that they were just adamant that we're taking away Vescovy, which I thought was interesting. But and high Juwan Howard followed that exact game plan. Mm-hmm. So I mean, people seem to kind of figure that out towards the end of the year, but it was just like, did you have the personnel to do right. it or not? So. Um, well, we'll end on this. So our Ken Palm top 25, uh, season in review, uh, teams, we did Memphis last week. You can check it on this very feed. If you missed it, uh, Memphis last week, San Diego state the week before that, um, this week we got number 23. We got the San Francisco university Gales, Dons, Dons, the Dons, Bill Russell's, uh, Mm -hmm. school. Yeah, well, uh, they have a new head coach because their last head coach is now the head coach of the University of Florida. Hmm. Um, so a lot of change here uh, for San Francisco. But like we mentioned at the top of this program, they get a big returning guy here um, who entered the portal and they needed him back. Uh, but he comes back. So uh, Shabazz is back in this full. But by and large, Will Warren, what did you see in 2021-2022 for San Francisco and the Dons? Well, I just think, you know, they continued to be a very well-coached team under Todd Golden. The defense was a little bit ahead of the offense. And something that's, it's sort of hard to follow at times in uh, college basketball, given how high variance is game to game. But Mm. San Francisco is one of the rare teams to really uh, limit three-point attempts. They were 16th in uh, three-point attempts of, uh, the percentage of three-point attempts to overall field goal attempts. Only 30% of shots were threes and they ranked ninth in three-point percentage against. So they were incredibly good at both running shooters off the line and guarding them. It was really hard to beat San Francisco from downtown. And in a game that's more three-point centric than ever, that was a wise bet, I thought. And it worked quite well. I mean, 24 wins, 10 seed in March. And you could really make the argument that if uh, Masalski, who was their best player last year at times uh, above Shabazz, if he had been available for the NCAA tournament, they really could have beaten Murray State in regulation. They lost in overtime by five, extremely tight game throughout, and honestly one of the three or so best games of the NCAA tournament. Um, but they did that really well. They were very good at rebounding, and offensively they took and made good shots. Uh, it was rare to me to turn on a San Fran game and see them take like a contested 17-footer. Mm-hmm. That they took mid-range shots, but it was the right guys. Like they would let, you know, Bouye take them or Shabazz, or you know, they they were not exactly letting like, you know, like you know, guys. I always think of like uh, Isaiah Jackson at Kentucky. It's mm-hmm. like, why were you taking those shots? But um, no, I mean, I, I thought that's a really well coached team. And the interesting thing about them heading into next year, uh, obviously Golden leaves, but. Uh, the new head coach was brought in prior to last season to be the offensive coordinator. You know, ev- coaches are listed as assistants, but he was given the title of offensive coordinator and assistant coach. Mm. And under his tutelage, and, you know, obviously this is player dependent as much as it is coach dependent, they had the best offense they've had in the Ken Palm era. They were 44th. Mm. Uh, they shot better than they had in nine seasons, and they were terrific from two. And so bringing that guy back with the personnel they bring back, that seems like a pretty good bet to me for them to, I don't think they'll be as good 
uh, year over year as they were last year, because they lose Masalski and they lose some guys. Again, they could really fight it out for that, and I think they're going to be a tough out in the WCC again. What's the most interesting thing about watching a random San Francisco game this past year? What what did you find was like the, the biggest reason that you keyed in? I felt like they moved as a unit really well defensively. They they play man to man, but it it never seemed like guys were lost all that often. They had bad defensive games because they were playing Gonzaga or somebody, mm-hmm. or like Murray State for example. You're playing a great offensive team. I'm not shocked when you're giving up 92 points and 80 possessions to Murray State. Like that's that's nothing offensive to me. Mm-hmm. But I, I mean, they had some great outings. They. They stuffed BYU in a locker on the road uh, and on a neutral court, and really ended BYU's potential tournament hopes. Uh, they, you know, they struggled a bit with St. Mary's, but gave them a pretty good run both at home and away. Uh, they, I mean, they had honestly quite a good defensive performance on the road against Gonzaga. It was just they seemed to move really well as a unit. Their perimeter group was excellent at defending the three. I felt like, despite the fact they didn't have a ton in the way of size, they were really hard to score on at the rim too. Like they Mm -hmm. had a pretty good block rate, pretty good active hands defensively. And so with Golden gone and with most of the defensive side of the ball gone, I want to see if that can at least somewhat sustain as they promote the offensive coordinator to head coach. Yeah, I just, I don't know. Like, do you think that they're able to replicate this? Is this a top 25 Kempom team again next year? Is it all, so even getting Shabazz back, it's not enough? No, I I think they'll be, I'm a little more optimistic on them than Torvik. Torvik has them at 81st right now. I would have them, I'd have them like closer to like low 50s, high 60s. Hmm. I still think they're going to be in the tournament range, but they would kind of, it's probably like you're probably going to have to win the West Coast to get in, but Mm -hmm. there's going to be a game next year. Like, you think of them, I would think of them the way I would think of, like, a Santa Clara or a BYU, where it's like, are you going to beat Gonzaga? Likely not. Mm-hmm. Are you going to be really plucky and frustrate the heck out of St. Mary's, you know, BYU, et cetera? Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, the the days of them being a 10 seed, like they were this year, and frankly, they were underseeded, as was Murray State. Mm-hmm. Those days are probably not coming back for another year. But uh, I think, you know, give this new guy a little time. You know, you've got some important pieces coming back. They're going to be pretty upperclassmen heavy. I think everybody in the rotation is a junior or senior, at least Mm -hmm. as listed. So they're going to be a tough out. Interesting. Um, Stats by Will. Go check out statsbywill.com. Follow him on Twitter. The same handle, Stats by Will. Uh, Any other closing announcements before we wrap up here on the podcast? Uh, One, I posted my uh, running blog on my there site yesterday uh, it's a little self-indulgent but i'm proud of it and two i did have a stat of the week this week that I oh i i'm, kind of I'm losing my mind the stats i i forgot there you go this is why you're the co-host <laughs> at this point will that's okay um so last three nba drafts since we just mm. had the draft lottery congrats to the orlando magic by the way mm. that's honestly for them like happy for them they deserve a good moment of some sort also um, really good there do you know who their last three number one picks were Dwight is one. Mm. Shaq. Mm-hmm. It's not Jameer Nelson, is it? No. I wish. Uh, <laughs> I'm lost on the third. Penny Hardaway. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's pretty. It's a pretty pretty great track record. <laughs> yeah, they got a good track record. Then. Yeah. 
So uh, congrats to Chet on being mm-hmm. a nine-time All-Star. Exactly. Um, or Jabari, I don't know. I don't know. That's a weird one because Chet and Jalen are so close and they like basically grew up together. Um, I yeah. don't know. That that might be a weird vibe to decline Chet when you have Jalen. You stick him a lot of year before. I don't know. That's a weird, weird spot to be in if you're the Magic. Yes. But my stat here, uh, mm. so there are three teams tied for the most first or third most first rounders last three years Hmm. number one and number two are uh kentucky and north carolina not a huge shock Mm -hmm. but so there's three teams tied for third with four first rounders apiece gonzaga and duke are two of the three who is the third tennessee it's not tennessee Hmm. tennessee has three um ah no not iowa um let it be known that I was very surprised by this. You were surprised by this. Yeah, um, I, I did not see it coming. Florida State? Florida State. So they have had four. It was um, Devin Vassell. Mm-hmm. And then three other guys I can't remember. Right Jonathan now. Isaac. Jonathan. Was Jonathan Isaac Florida State? No, well, he was before two, yeah. uh, 2020. So but it was uh, Kevin Gailey, who was on that okay. uh, Sweet 16 team in 2019. Mm-hmm. A There's couple a couple other, other uh, Florida State guys, yeah. I really uh, blew my moment here, but uh, no, I mean, yeah, I was I was quite surprised to see that. I just you would not think of them as a group that produces a ton of first rounders. Scotty Barnes, I cannot believe Scotty I Barnes, Scotty yeah, Barnes. I, and Patrick Williams. That was Patrick it. Williams. Mm-hmm. But yeah, four first round picks across uh, the last three drafts. Don't think they'll have one this year, but that's a pretty remarkable run. Leonard Hamilton, man, doing work. Down year for them a little bit and on the floor, but I think they'll be fine. Leonard Hamilton's a great coach. Um, Stats by Will. Follow me on Twitter at Stats by Will. Go to StatsByWill.com, read his running piece and all of that great stuff over there. And I will talk to you next week, my friend. Awesome. Talk to you soon. All right, that'll do it for hour one here on the Friday, May 20th, 2022 edition here on the Chase Moments Podcast, here on the Blue Wire Pod Network. Hope you guys enjoyed uh, Stats by Will's appearance on this edition of the show. Uh, always love having Will on the program to talk all things college basketball. Uh, go give him a follow on, on Twitter at Stats by Will and go check out the website, statsbywill.com. If you have not already done so, uh, don't forget, folks, you can watch us on YouTube. Go to youtube.com, type in the Chase Moments Podcast there. If you're not already and you want to be an audio subscriber, make sure that you are locked into this program in this feed by subscribing to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or however you get your podcast so that you never miss uh, new episodes of this very program. If you're already subscribed and you have not already done so, uh, please make sure that you leave this show a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It helps other people find the show and it helps this show continue to grow. So go ahead and do that today. That would be great. Uh, email the program at chasedomospodcast at gmail.com. Uh, read all my writing, sports writing over at Sports Renaissance Man. That's me, sportsrenaissanceman.substack.com. Type in your email and you will not uh, miss any of my written content on that front. Uh, I think that's everything. Uh, new episode coming out tomorrow uh, per usual as we get back on the saddle here. Uh, here on the Chase Simmons Podcast at the Blue Wire Pod Network. So uh, all kinds of great content coming your way. Hope you guys enjoyed uh, yesterday's show. Uh, we had all kinds of great guests. Uh, Three-hour program there. Tom Crean, former UGA uh an indiana basketball coach was on the program go check that out in the podcast feed if you missed that yesterday oak ridge's head coach scott cummings matt green full ride like all kinds of great stuff on yesterday's program so there you go and uh we'll be back uh tomorrow but you guys have yourself a great rest of your 
Friday, and I'll talk to you guys on Saturday. How's it, Eric? How'd I do? Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.